of this series. We're still in the bigger series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll continue on for the next few weeks. Uh, but we're finishing up this portion of Scripture where Jesus, uh, he kind of diverted a little bit, and, and he was making these statements, when you... And a couple of weeks ago, he started, uh, we started the portion where in Matthew 6 where he says, when you give, this is what it should look like. So he says, when you give, it should look like this. Um, the religious people, they give and it looks like this, but that's not the way you should do it. You should do it like this. So he makes it clear it's our responsibility as Christians, as Christ followers, to be givers, to be generous, to give to those that are in need and to help those that are in need. Then he goes on in the next, last week we talked about prayer and he said, when you pray, this is what it should look like. It shouldn't look like this. It should look like this. And so really that's what the series has been about or this, this section of the scripture. It's been about, hey, um, do you want a fake religion or do you want something that's real and authentic? And, and that's really what Jesus wants for us. Is he keeps coming back to our heart over and over and over. He keeps referring to our heart, that it's, it's our heart that really matters. And so Jesus continues to hammer that home. So today we're going to talk about uh, fasting. And we get to the portion of Scripture, he says, and when you fast. And <clears throat> I know how much we all love fasting. And you can probably tell by looking at me that it's something I do on a daily basis, right? Like, we don't like fasting. None of us do. We don't want to skip meals, and if we skip meals, it's because we're trying to lose weight. It's not because we're trying to grow spiritually, right? It's like um, we are interested in, in watching our weight, but fasting is a mystery for some of us. And, and that's one of the problems is we think sometimes it's for super religious people, but it's not for us because I'm not super religious. Or sometimes we think um, that, that fasting is about manipulating God or twisting his arm. Okay, I'm going to skip a meal, and because I skip a meal, God's going to have to answer this prayer. So if I really mean this prayer, then I'm going to skip a meal, and then God will have to do it, right? But, but the truth is that is all wrong. So we're going to look at what fasting is and isn't. Uh, fasting basically is abstaining from something for a set amount of time. And, and biblically, it's usually food. So when you see a biblical fast, typically they're fasting from food for a certain amount of time. So you see different lengths of fast throughout scripture. You see 40 day fast and nobody's signing up for that one, right? Like, no, thank you. I'm not interested. We see three day fast. We see 21 day fast. All throughout scripture, you see different lengths, but, but it always involves us laying something down that we physically desire so that God can work spiritually in our lives. So if you're here and you're diabetic, or maybe you can't skip meals because of health, uh, for whatever it might be, uh, maybe there'd be certain items that you could forsake. Maybe, maybe you are a chocoholic and you can, you know what, I'm going to lay down sweets for a certain amount of time. And that's, that would be a spiritual discipline for you. Now, maybe uh, for you, uh, you, you can't give up food because of, like I said, dietary restrictions, whatever it might be. But maybe you say, hey, I'm going to lay down something else that's valuable to me. Um, Maybe for you, it'd be like social media. And I know some of you are like, I'd rather give up food and sweets than social media. Um, maybe for you, it would be uh, television. Maybe for you, it would be smoking. Maybe for you, uh, it would be something else. But whatever it is, it's so, us doing something physically, laying something down physically that we want or desire in order to see spiritual benefit and spiritual growth in our lives. And that essentially is what fasting is. Sometimes we make it really difficult, really hard, uh, but it is very basic. And what we're going to see today is that although Scripture doesn't, one of the reasons I think it's easy for us to not talk about fasting is we're good at the big stuff. So if I asked you, how many of you have murdered anybody this week? Probably no one would raise their hands, right? Because it's one of the big 10, thou shalt not murder. We, we get that. Like, we're not supposed to do it, right? 
But if I, if I asked um, how many of you fast this week, probably the same amount of people would raise their hands because we don't put a big emphasis on fasting because it doesn't say in scripture, thou shalt fast, does it? It's more of a suggestion to us, it seems. But what we see over and over and over and over and over again is that God works through his people when they fast, when they will set aside something physically so that God can work spiritually. God does amazing things. So let me read this passage of scripture to you. This is Matthew 6, 16. Again, Sermon on the Mount, huge group of people there, and Jesus is preaching this, and this is what he says. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. And remember last week and the week before we talked about this. Hypocrites, it, it just means people that, um, it's, it's literally people who wear masks. So they wear multiple masks, they play multiple parts in a play. He's saying, don't act like that because they're just playing the part. They look religious, but they're not really religious. He says, but when you fast, uh, I'm sorry, when you fast, do not look gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their face, and their fasting, uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. So this is what this would be like. Um, you see somebody from the church. You know, hey, how you doing? And they say, you know what? I'm not doing too good. I'm, I'm a little weak right now. Okay, well, is everything okay? Well, you know, I've been fasting a lot because I'm so religious. Oh. And now you also have a bloody nose. What? And you hit him in the face, right? And I'm like, come on. Be normal, right? Uh, it's, they would, in, in Scripture, what they would do is they would, um, they would make sure that people saw that they were fasting. So they would accentuate their weaknesses. They would make sure that they didn't wash or bathe properly so people would see and know something was wrong. What's wrong? Is everything okay? Well, I'm just, I've been spending so much time fasting and praying and seeking God. I just, I'm exhausted and I'm just, you know, come on. Like, does that resonate with anybody? Like that just is ridiculous. And again, Jesus is saying they've already got their reward. God can't reward that because their heart is, I want everybody to notice how great I am. So God goes, I can't, I can't do anything about that. But this is what Jesus says. He says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. <clears throat> this is almost the exact same language he said previously when he was talking about prayer. Cause he said, uh, Hey, don't pray publicly like, like the scribes do. He said, go to your prayer closet and pray in secret. And your father who, who sees in secret will reward you. And so it's almost the same language. But what we see here is Jesus is saying, there's an expectation that you're going to give, that you're going to pray, that you're going to fast. It's just part of an everyday life of the follower of Jesus. If you're my follower, this is what I expect and this is what it should look like. But what we have to understand about fasting is it's not just about skipping a meal or skipping food. It is about aligning ourselves with God to see him work powerfully in our lives. That is what fasting really is. Fasting, like I said earlier, is abstaining from food usually for a set amount of time or something. For you, it might be a little bit different. But fasting helps align our desires with God's desires. So what we have to do is lay down something we want physically because we say, God, I want what you want in my life worse than I want beef or worse than I want lunch or worse than I want. Because right now, you guys, it's almost lunchtime. You people are probably going to revolt if I keep talking about skipping lunch. Um, I, I want what you want more than I want this physical thing in my life. And I'm willing, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. In fact, I'm going to lay down my physical desires for what you want to do in my life. See, we have to set aside our physical appetites at times so that God's appetites can be fulfilled in our lives. Sometimes uh, it's hard for us because 
We think that we are spiritual or that we're physical beings with the spirit. We think that we are humans, that what we see around us is what's real and that the spirit is, well, that's what happens when we die. We go to heaven and it's our spirit. But the truth is we are spiritual beings that happen to have bodies for a short season. The truth is, and I referred to this a few weeks ago, we are, as Christians, we are um, citizens of heaven. And we just happen to reside here for a little bit. I'm realizing, I'm 38 years old and I'm not very old, but I'm realizing I've got a 13-year-old daughter. I'm realizing like, hey, we're just a few years from college for her. What comes after college? Well, she's going to get married. Not if I can help it, but she will get married, right? Uh, And babies, and what does that mean? Well, that means I'm going to get older. And again, my life is finite. I will not be on this earth forever. My body is very limited, okay? I play basketball a couple times a week and, and you, I see how limited my body is, right? At some point I'm gonna die, but my spirit will live forever. And what we have to understand is that we are not a physical body with a spirit. We are a spirit that happens to have a physical body. And what happens when we fast is we align those two portions of our lives. We begin to align our physical and our spiritual in a very tangible way. Because what happens is we're gonna say, okay, God, I'm gonna fast. Maybe it's for a day. And as you're fasting for that day, you begin to get those hunger pains in you. And you you begin to crave food. And you begin to want food. And all of a sudden, food you don't even like very much starts to sound good. And I'm from the South, so we eat things out of ditches in the South, okay? Like, we are not picky. We'll eat whatever, okay? But again, things that don't normally sound good, I'm like, well, you know what? I would eat that right now. I'm hungry. But what I have to do is submit that desire to God. And so what, what I've done is said, okay, God, as much as I'm hungry for a hamburger or a piece of beef or whatever it might be, God, let me hunger for you in that same way. Let me have the same kind of spiritual appetite for you that I do right now for what I want in my body. Because the truth is, our our physical desires are not that important compared to what our spiritual desires should be. And what begins to happen is our physical and spiritual begin to come into alignment. We see over and over in Scripture God uses people who fast in incredible ways. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. It is throughout. There's a couple things I want to share with you about fasting. Fasting does a couple of things. Number one, it changes us. It aligns us with God's desires for our lives. Um, It it helps us set aside our physical appetite for the spiritual appetite, and it gets us, uh, helps get our focus off ourselves in in many, many ways. So it, it it moves us. And the image I have in my mind when I think about this is uh, almost like a potter with a piece of clay on that wheel. And if you've ever seen a potter, they, they've got this mushy, just formless blob of clay. And it's wet and it's malleable and it's, it's moldable. And they begin to take that blob and push it and mash it and form it into something beautiful. And this is what happens when we say, okay, God, I'm gonna lay down my physical desires for whatever you want in my life, God begins to take us as a spiritual blob and begins to push us and mash us and form us and mold us and shape us into something usable and something beautiful. That's what God does in our life. That's how he uses fasting in our lives. So it changes us. Um, 
one of the really important things it does, like I said, is it aligns us with God and with his purposes. There's a passage in, in Mark chapter nine, and I won't read it, but in Mark chapter nine, Jesus and a few of his disciples had been up on the mountain. There was the Mount of Transfiguration. So they'd gone up on this mountain and Jesus said, hey, wait here, I'm gonna pray. And Jesus goes to pray and, and behold, Moses and Elisha show up. I said Elisha, Elijah. Some people were gonna get, in, get me in trouble for that. So they show up, they're, they're saints, they show up and whoa, it's light and it's like the hallelujah course is playing and the disciples are freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what's going on. <clears throat> and so they have this moment together, Jesus and these three disciples and you'd think after a moment like this that everything would be good. It'd be like the end of the story, the end. But they go down the side of this mountain and they get to the bottom of the mountain and there's this commotion, there's this chaos going on. And what had happened is, Jesus had, had walked down into the, this mess where the disciples, the rest of his disciples were there. And he said, what's going on? And this is Mel's paraphrased version. Basically, this man says, I brought my, my boy who needs healing. I brought my boy to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus said, well, well why not? And the disciples, I can just imagine them like looking at the ground and kicking and I mean, it was a really hard demon, Jesus, and I don't know what it was beyond our experience, and you didn't teach us how to do that one, or I can just imagine the excuses. And Jesus kind of rebukes them, and he said, bring the boy to me. And he heals the boy, and then as an aside, he turns to the disciples, and this is a teachable moment for them, and he said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. And one of the interesting things about this story is when Jesus showed up and they said, hey, here's what the issue is, Jesus didn't go, okay, do me a favor, can you bring him back tomorrow? Maybe the same time. I, I really need to do some prayer and fasting. I really need to get some things right in my life. So why don't you take him away? And if, if he's not better tomorrow, bring him back and I'll pray for him then. Do you know why he didn't have to do that? Because he had been praying and fasting. He was already ready to meet the need. He was already ready to respond to the situation at hand. He didn't have to go and get ready to respond. He was ready to go at a moment's notice. And I think one of the problems in our lives is sometimes a situation comes up against us or we face an obstacle and we go, well, now I better go pray and fast. But the problem is we should have been praying and fasting already. We shouldn't have to go away and fix something. We should be able to go, okay, you know what, God, I know what you're speaking. I know what you're doing in my life. And this is how, this is how you're gonna work. I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to meet this need. I'm ready to jump into whatever I need to jump into. Jesus was ready in that moment because his heart was moved, his heart was changed as he, as he was fasting, he was prepared to face the enemy. And that's what fasting does. It, it prepares us, it shapes us, it molds us into something different. So fasting changes us, but it also moves God. Now, this is the thing about fasting. I referenced this earlier. Fasting is not a way to manipulate God, okay? The, the same God that spoke the sun into existence is not gonna be manipulated by you because you skipped lunch, okay? That is not gonna do it. He's not gonna go, well, I guess I got to. They, they, didn't, they didn't eat a sandwich today. Like, okay, I guess I gotta respond to their prayer. That's not how that works. What happens is, as, as we respond to God and say, okay, God, I want what you want for my life. I'm laying down my physical desires. I'm laying down myself and I just want you. What God does is he sees our heart and he responds to that. Because again, this isn't about our mechanical action, this is about our heart. 
That's what all of this is about. It is not about Jesus getting us to do a certain set of religious obligations or responsibilities. It is about Jesus helping us get to the place where our hearts can be aligned with his, where he can capture us. That's what he wants more than anything else. So God moves on our behalf when he sees that our hearts are shifted, that, that we want what he wants that we desire what he desires, that our values are lined up with his values. And when he sees that, he responds. Um, Abby, my oldest daughter, she um, made a deal with her mom that uh, her mom would let her do some things with her hair if she, and by, by the way, this stuff shouldn't be happening. She's too young. She's 13, but she's not old enough. She still needs a little girl haircut, okay? Um, so she wanted to do something with her hair, and her mom said, okay, if you start taking on more responsibility around the house, then we'll let you do it. And she said, okay. So sure enough, she did. And it began as something where we would go, Abby, did you do this and this and this? <sighs> yeah, no. And it was that kind of thing. But it has become something where she kind of enjoys doing what she's doing. She enjoys serving. She enjoys being part of the family and part of helping and, and a productive part of, of who we are. So we don't have to remind her or tell her or threaten her or punish her. If she doesn't, she, she kind of wants to. And you know what? As a dad, that pumps me up. Because I see it, and it's, she's not just performing the action because I told her to. She's performing the action because that's what's in her heart. And there's a huge difference between those two. Because when she does what I want her to do, because, just because it's in her heart, I want to bless her. I want to help her. I want to take care of her. I want to anticipate what she needs and take care of her before she even asks for it. Because that's a father's heart. And that is our Heavenly Father. When our Heavenly Father sees us and he sees our hearts, we don't have to beg and plead and hope and manipulate because he sees our hearts and he knows us. And this is what we have to understand. We sang this earlier, but God is good. God is really, really, really good. And not good like, like my mama's cinnamon rolls are good. Those are good, but God is good. You know, I told the earlier service, sometimes I will talk to people who are non-believers and they'll say things like, well, if God is loving, why did he have the Israelites massacre people in the Old Testament? And I'll have people say, well, God changed. It was a different covenant then. And, but the truth is, God was the same in the Old Testament as he is today. God was really, really loving and good in the Old Testament. But what we don't understand, like with the Canaanites, um, God told the nation of Israel, go and take Canaan. That is your land, go take it. And, and what we don't realize sometimes is in Scripture, it says that their cup of iniquity was full. And so what that is saying basically is God gave them chances over and over and over and over and over and over and over to repent. He gave them chance after chance after chance to get their hearts right, to do the right thing, and they never did. I don't think God delighted in seeing anything happen there. He gave them chance after chance. He wanted nothing more than to see them reconciled. But that's not what happened. He gave them chance after chance because he's good, fundamentally. He's benevolent. He's loving. And sometimes we think God is just angry and he's out to get us, but he's not. God's not trying to just manipulate you to get you what he wants you to do. He wants your heart because he wants to know you, he wants to be in relationship with you. And that's what fasting does. It helps us know the heart of God. and It helps God see our heart as well. Or really, maybe a better way to say that is it helps put our heart in a position 
to delight God. There's a story in the Old Testament, and I will probably preach a series on this in uh, 2016, um, but it's the story of Jonah. And if you didn't grow up in church, you don't have a church background, there's this guy named Jonah, and you probably heard Jonah and the whale as a pop- popular reference before, but Jonah um, was just minding his own business. He got called by God. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. There's probably a lot of different reasons. He was probably a little racist, if you want to be honest. Um, and they were evil. They were evil people. It was wicked. Uh, it was, they were just wickedness all around. They were warring. They hated people. I mean, they were just bad. And so God said, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And Jonah didn't. In fact, he didn't just not go. He did the opposite. He ran away from Nineveh, um, and God redirected him. He used the whale to get Jonah to Nineveh, uh, the great fish. Anyway, Jonah gets to Nineveh, and he's supposed to preach the gospel. And I imagine he's kind of like Abby, you know, was at the beginning. Like, Jonah, go preach the gospel. (sighs) Okay. He kind of shrugs his shoulders. I don't want to do this. So he goes through the city and starts preaching the gospel. And basically, he's preaching like, hellfire and brimstone. Turn from your wicked ways or God's going to bring judgment on you. And he's kind of anticipating they're not going to do anything. Well, I'm going to preach, but what good is it going to do? So this is what happens in Jonah 3, 6. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Let me stop right there. Um, in ancient times, what they would do a lot of times in, in, for mourning, if they were in mourning over something or if they were uh, trying to show humility, they would, uh, they would take off their clothes and they wouldn't be naked, obviously, but they would take off like their royal clothes if they were, uh, if they were a king or their priestly garments and they would put on sackcloth and they would cover themselves with ashes as a sign of humility. And so this is what the king of Nineveh did. And, and then in verse seven says, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. So the, the entire kingdom heard this. It says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in, the, in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So this is what the king says. He sends out this proclamation to, to the whole kingdom. Hey, we're all dead meat. We're all in trouble because of our hearts, because of who we are. If we will humble ourselves, I'm about to quote scripture from last week. If we will humble ourselves and pray, maybe God will fix us. Maybe God will have mercy on us. Who knows? So he declared a public fast. He said, every person, you're fasting. You're fasting food and water. Nobody's eating or drinking anything. In fact, not just for you, for your kids. And not just for your kids, for your livestock and your animals. So your dog, put a muzzle on them. They're not getting any water. They're not getting any food. The cattle, that's right. Go tie them up. They're not eating or drinking anything. This fast is for real. It's serious. And it's for everyone. He meant business, didn't he? And the incredible thing is what happens in verse 10. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God, had, God was ready to wipe some people out. And when he saw that their heart was shifted, their heart was changed, he stopped and said, no, 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 I'm going to extend mercy and grace instead of judgment. Fasting did that. 
These people said, we're going to humble ourselves. God, we, we're going to turn away from our path. We're going to lay down what we want, who we wanted to be, in order to have what you want. Very practically, he, they just said, God, we're not going to be who we're going to be anymore. This is not who we are. We're laying it down. We want to be who you want us to be. They laid down themselves for God to work through them. <laughs> you know what's funny? Jonah, Jonah, this man of God, was upset about it. He wanted them to be wiped out. And so when God forgave them, he pouted like an insolent child. Pastors, those guys, preachers, can't trust them. There's another story about a king of Persia. He took a Jewish wife. And this story comes from the book of Esther. And if you don't have a church background, check out the book of Esther sometime. It's pretty interesting. Basically, um, this Persian king took on this Jewish wife. Her name was Esther. And uh, the Persian king had a, um, uh, basically a right-hand man named Haman. And Haman hated Jews. He, his purpose was to wipe them out. He wanted to kill them all. He wanted to see them eradicated from the face of the earth. Uh, does that sound familiar to anybody? We'll flash back to the 1940s. Um, and so Haman went to his boss, went to the king and said, King, listen, these Jews, they're a blight on society. They're hurting our people. They're eating our food. Uh, they're really, they're selfish. They're problematic. We would be better off if we just got rid of them. And the king said, well, do what you feel like you need to do. And Haman said, okay. So he sent out a decree all over, the, all over the kingdom saying the Jews are going to be put to death. And they began constructing a gallow for one Jew in particular named Mordecai. And Mordecai reached out to, to Queen Esther and said, Esther, you got to do something. So let me, let me read some of their responses back and forth. This is Esther chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do you think to yourself that the king's palace uh, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. He's basically saying, just because you're the king's wife doesn't mean you're going to escape this. Verse 14 says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jew, for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. So this is what he says. He says, you don't have to do anything, but if you don't, God's going to deliver us through somebody else. And, and you aren't going to be spared. God's God's going to curse you because you were able to do something and you failed to do it. You knew the right thing to do, but you didn't do it. This is what he goes on to say. And he said, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And he said, you know what? Maybe God made you the queen of Persia so that you could restore our people, so that you could rescue our people, so that you could be a savior to our people. Maybe God placed you in the position you're in for such a time as this, to be used in this way. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Now, in, in, at this time, it was illegal for anyone to enter the courts of the king uninvited. They, they couldn't just walk into the court, no matter who you were. Even if you were married to the king, you couldn't just walk in. If he didn't invite you, you couldn't show up. So what Mordecai was asking her to do was not just stick her neck out for the Jewish people, but he was asking her to risk her own life. 
And she said, okay, well, this is a big thing you're asking. I'm not just gonna rush into it. Why don't you guys pray and fast? I'm, call, I'm asking you guys fast with us. We're gonna fast, you fast with me, and maybe God will work. And sure enough, God worked on their behalf. She approached the king. He heard her cry, heard her plea. He responded to her. And the very gallows that Haman had set up to hang Mordecai in, Haman was killed in. God took that situation that seemed desperate and he heard the people's cry. He, he heard their hearts through the fasting, through the prayer, and God worked on their behalf. And this is what we have to understand as a people. I, I want you to get this, so, so listen closely. Powerful moves of God are always preceded by intimacy between God and his people. Okay, I want to say it again. I want to make sure you get this part. Powerful moves of God are always preceded by intimacy between God and his people. Do you need God to work in your life in a really powerful way? And then a powerful move of God is preceded by intimacy with God. God doesn't work because we rub the genie bottle and go, okay, it's time for wish number two. It happens because we connect with God in a relational way that he knows our heart and we know his heart. And God says, okay, you're my child. What can we do? How can, how can we work? That's, that's how prayer works. That's how fasting works because our hearts align with God's heart. He knows our heart. He sees us. The intimacy breeds powerful moves of God. This is what happens. You know, there's a passage of scripture in Joel chapter two, verse 28, and I'll read it in just a moment, but it, it describes, well, let me go ahead and read it. I'll come back. Joel chapter two, verse 28, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward, and this is talking about end times, and it'll come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and this is God speaking to his people. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. So what God is saying in the end times, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on everybody. I'm not gonna be a respecter of, of who you are or, or your class of person or, or your religious background, your spiritual, none of that. I'm gonna pour out my spirit on the people who are following me, okay? And, and in fact, in Acts chapter two, Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, he, there was this move of the spirit in Jerusalem. The Pentecost was happening, happening in Jerusalem and people were going, man, those people are drunk. What is wrong with them? They're crazy, something's going on. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. No, no, you're mistaken. This is what Joel was talking about. In, in Joel chapter two, this is what Joel was saying, okay? This is what he was describing, a powerful move of the Spirit. So we see that and we go, okay, yes, we want God to move powerfully. I want God to move in my life. I've got this situation and that situation. I need God to work, right? Aren't we all kind of there where we go, yes, I need God to work in my life. So, so how do we make that happen? How do we see that happen? How do we see the signs and wonders happen, not just corporately, but independently in our own lives. Well, we see that happen through intimacy. And you don't believe me, if you look at Joel chapter two, verse 28 and 29, you gotta look back in Joel chapter one, verse 14. There's a precursor to what happens, how the spirit is poured out. In Joel chapter one, verse 14, it says, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. We want to see a move of God. We want to see God do incredible things. Well, how does that happen? Well, it starts with us saying, okay, God, I want you more than I want anything else. I want you so badly um, that I'm willing to lay down my things I want physically 
for, for your spirit to move. My situation is so desperate, I'm willing to lay down what I want physically to see you move spiritually in my life. And it didn't just stop there. Listen to what God said through the prophet to his people in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Yet even now, declare the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. You guys can go ahead and come up. If you, if you look at this passage, it's so rich and we can't get into all of it. But I love what God is saying here. He's saying to his people, if you, if you would just turn from your wicked ways, if you would just turn from, from what you're doing, return with your, all your heart to, to, to me. That's what he's saying. He just wants relationship. He says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. And then the next part is really important. It says, and rend your hearts and not your garments. See, in Scripture we see, and in ancient tradition was, when there was a time of mourning, they would tear their clothes. They would rip their garments. Literally, they would just tear their garments. And it was a sign of what was going on in their lives. But it became a religious sign so that people would tear their garments so that people could see, so that they could show people how upset I am. And it became almost a badge, just like the, the Pharisees would do things to be seen. It became like that in many ways where people would tear their clothes and they would go, oh, they mean business. They tore their garments. And what God is saying to his people there is, is hey, you know what? You can tear your garments if you want, but it's not your garments I care about. It's your heart I care about. So rend your hearts. Let your hearts be torn open instead of just your clothes. Don't, don't worry about the outward appearance. Fix your heart. Let your heart break over knowing God and being intimate with God. At the end of the day, this whole thing, and I don't mean this whole sermon, I don't mean this whole series, this whole book, the whole Bible, the whole thing is about us being intimate with God. It's about God continually calling his people over and over and over saying, come back to me, I love you. It's about God wooing us and bringing us into a relationship with him. It's about him knowing us intimately and us being able to experience the God of the universe intimately. How does that happen? It happens when we are intentional about our relationship with God, where it's not just about showing up on a Sunday and enduring the preaching and, and making it through the worship. It's about saying, God, I want you more than I want anything else in my life. You're not just gonna be a spoke on the wheel. You're gonna be the, the center of my universe. You're gonna be the center of my world. When we do that, we see God work in incredible ways. After the last service, during our time of prayer, um, at the end, um, I had a guy come up to me. And this is a manly man. I mean, big, broad shoulders. He works construction for a living. And he comes to me and he just gives me a big hug, tears in his eyes. And he said, Mel, my life has been changed since I came to this church. He said, when we came here, we didn't really know God. <laughs> he said, I liked my job fine, but man, we were struggling in so many ways. And he said, we came here and we've come alive. We know God, we have a relationship with him. God's given me a job that I've been praying for. It's an incredible job, an incredible opportunity. And he was telling me about all the things that God is doing in his life. And he said, it's all because of this church. And I said, no, no, it's not. 
This church is great. I love this church. But it's because God is working through this church. God gets the glory for that. God is doing amazing things. But what happened? This guy came to this church and his heart was aligned with God. And he said, okay, God, I want what you want. And God began working in his life. The psalmist said that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. What that basically means is, it doesn't mean if you show up to church, God's gonna take care of you. What it means is, is when God has our whole heart, he guides our path. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for you. I want God to be in control. Because when he is, the results are always better. God wants to work mightily in your life, but the key is intimacy. That's where it starts. It's intimacy with God. If you need a, a mighty move of God in your life, it's gonna begin with intimacy. It's gonna begin with prayer and fasting and seeing him work. So that's my challenge to you today. Are you willing to do that? Do you want God to move badly enough that you're willing to sacrifice some things to see him move? To allow your heart to be shifted to see him move? If not, then you're probably gonna stay right where you're at. That's not what I want. I wanna see you grow. I wanna see you come alive in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. God, I love you. And I'm so grateful that you love us. God, I'm grateful that we can't know your love for us. God, we can experience glimpses of it, but Father, ultimately, we can't even begin to understand how desperately and passionately you love us. And God, I pray today, you just work in our hearts, work in our lives. God, I pray that we would be a people that would want your will more than our will. That, Lord, we would want you in relationship with you more than we'd want anything else in this world. God, I pray, Lord, over the next few minutes, you would work in our lives, that you would shift us and change us and mold us, help us want you more than anything else in our lives. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask if you're here today, you say, Mel, I'm not a Christian. I don't think I'm really following Christ, but I want to. I wanna have a relationship with him. I wanna know him. Maybe you've been religious, but today you say, no, I wanna make sure my heart is right. I wanna make sure I know him. And I wanna begin a walk with him. If that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I don't wanna embarrass you. But at the same time, I do wanna pray with you. So if you're here today and you say, I wanna know Jesus, I wanna have a relationship with him. I wanna start one, or maybe you wanna restart one. If that's you, would you just put your hand up real high and let me see that. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. Thank you, ma'am, in the back. A couple hands in the back, thank you. Over here on my left by the sound booth, awesome. Back by the camera on my left, thanks. Thank you, sir, the hand here on my left, awesome. Yes, ma'am, I see you back by the camera. Thank you, fantastic. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. I wanna have a relationship with Jesus. I wanna get some things right with God today. We'll wait just a few more seconds. Is there anybody else? Thank you, over here on my right. You can put your hand down, ma'am. Love it. This is what I'd like to do. I wanna say a very simple prayer. I want every person in this place to repeat this prayer after me. So if you would, whether you raised your hand or not, just repeat this very simple prayer. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I give you my life and I'm never going back to it. I'm never going back to my old ways my old habits, or my old life. I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. I commit to walk with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, can we give God a round of applause this morning? Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Uh, maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I, I'm a Christian, but the truth is I struggle sometimes um, with, with the things you're talking about, the heart issue and those kind of things, and, and I need prayer today. Maybe, maybe you want to begin to fast and you need help with that. Maybe you just recognize, hey, there's part of my heart that is off limits to God, and I need to give him my whole heart. I want intimacy with God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and let me pray with you? And I'll, I'll pray a closing prayer here in just a moment. If that's you, thank you. All right. Thanks all over the room. I'll pray with you here in just a second. The, um, the people that raised their hand and said, I, I wanna get some things right with God, there's a prayer card in that seat back in front of you. And we wanna help you take the next step in your walk with Christ. And so to do that, um, what you're really doing is beginning a relationship. Just like my wife and I, we were introduced. Before we could be married, we had to be introduced. And that was the beginning of our relationship together. And so really what happened today is the beginning of a relationship. And so if you'll fill out that prayer card, let us know what decision you made. We're gonna help you take the next step and help you grow in your walk with Christ so that it becomes a relationship, that it's not just a decision or religious thing you did one time. This is an ongoing thing. We wanna help you grow in your walk. So if you would fill that card out and you can drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today, let us know about that. Let me just pray a blessing over you. Let me pray a prayer over you that raised your hand and um, we'll agree together. God, thank you so much. The Lord, your desire for us is to live as, as more than conquerors. And so Lord, today I pray, those of us that raised our hand and said, we want greater intimacy with you, Lord. We wanna know you more. We wanna, we wanna you to have our whole heart. God, I pray that today, Lord, you'd begin to, to set us aflame for you, Lord. Let us have a burning desire to know you more, to go further with you than we ever thought possible. Lord, let our hearts, Lord, let it be aligned with you. Lord, let us lay down our desires for your desires. Let us lay down our values for your values. Let our hearts be shaped and changed by you instead of trying to manipulate you to fit our image, God. God, I pray today as your people, Lord, we would not be satisfied just getting by, but Lord, let us thrive as we grow in you, as we know you more. God, I pray that we would pray bold prayers, that we would believe big things, that we'd begin to see the incredible things happen in our lives and in our church, that God, we would believe you for greater things than ever before. Let us dare to imagine really incredible things in our own lives and in the lives of this church, God. I pray that that would all flow from our intimacy with you, that because we know you, because we have a relationship with you, we're gonna see the incredible things happen. So God, I pray a blessing on every person here that raised their hands and said they wanna know you more. God, I pray today you would draw them closer. That Lord, they would experience you in a richer way than they ever have. So God, I pray a blessing on them. In your name we pray, amen. Now listen, what happened?